This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And welcome to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I am Dean Holland here in studio with Charlie Dobbin. How are you this morning, Charlie? We are in studio we as are. we speak. Yes. But you might want to tell the yes, listeners, this is a bit of a different show. It is, absolutely. Uh, because you are on your way to Mexico. I know. Poor me, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm hating you just a little bit. Gotta I, tell you. I hear you. I yeah. used to just, yeah, Frank would always go somewhere and get some, yeah, just hate him. Yeah, but you're going for good reason. I'm going to work. You're right. So the reason we're pre-taping this show is because I will actually be on a plane while this is being broadcast on April the 30th, I believe. Yeah. So I'm flying to first to Dallas, stop over there for five hours, and then on to one of the northern um, cities, small cities in Mexico, where we're going to be taping an episode of Healing Gardens, which is a documentary series that I'm hosting. I've been working on that for the last you know, year and a half, two yeah. years. It got slowed down because of the pandemic. We had all kinds of great plans for traveling, but off to Mexico to do two episodes. Good. Well, it's nice that you're doing, uh, that you get to do that, to get back to it as well. Yeah. And is there a reason that you're going to Mexico? Is it just special plants there that you don't see up here? Well, remember the theme is healing gardens. So we are going to be going to gardens where healing is a big part of either the design of the garden or, um, you know, meaning, so the first one we're going to, it's, it's, Kind of a sculpture garden. Okay. And it is a, a very, it's the James Edward Garden, I believe it's called, where it's been designed by this wacky Englishman like a hundred years ago, but it's now a, a real, it's been held onto as a special site, cultural site by the country, by Mexico. So it is supported and uh, I'm looking forward to it. It has a very interesting website and I'm looking forward to seeing it in real life. And we'll see about the healing part. It's a bit like an Escher print. Okay. It's got some real wacky stuff going on. That sounds like a really, really great place to be. (laughs) And of course, whether you are in Mexico or whether I'm wherever Mm. I am, gardens don't stop. They keep growing. And of course, we are now at the very last show of April. It's hard to believe. Like, we're going into the fifth month of the year, and May has got to be a huge growing month. Yeah. And so what we're going to do today on the show is um, we often don't get to get to emails Mm -hmm. because this is a very busy time of year for phone calls. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to take in a whole bunch of uh, emails that we've been accumulating. Uh, Exactly. Some of the piled up emails. So we'll be addressing those. So anybody who sent an email, I was listening in for the answers. And uh, and yeah, I I think you as a hobby gardener in a good position to ask some questions, too. It's a big chance for you. I do. Yeah, I have. Indeed. We we have an 88 by 188 corner lot that we inherited, you know, when we bought the place mm-hmm. 11 years ago, and there were a lot of perennials there. Plus, we've put in our own things, so I do have my own questions as well, because I want to be a better gardener. Yeah, why not? Okay. And let's be successful. Let's be successful. Right now, however, we are going to go to our first break, but we will be right back with more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias. 
Roses, Forsythia and Foxgloves, Marigolds, Magnolia, Lavender and Lupins, Dahlias, Delphiniums, Stalks, Fox, Hollyhocks, Tulips and Sweet Williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, welcome back to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I'm Dean Holland here with Charlie Dobbin. And we are doing a, we're doing an email episode because, Charlie, you, uh, as we mentioned earlier, are en route to Mexico I to know. do some filming yes, for the indeed. Healing Gardens show. Not a show, I guess, a it's special. A, it's a documentary, documentary series. Yeah, so it hasn't even launched yet, but there was 10 episodes in the first uh, series, first season, yep. and now we're doing five more episodes. Excellent. And yeah. so, okay, here is... Yeah, before oh, you have announcements, email. right, yeah, of course. Right. Quickly, I'm just going to give everybody a heads up on a couple of things that are going on coming up. One is uh, that ever-busy uh, Riverdale Horticultural Society uh, promoting one of their meetings. It's for May the 11th, Wednesday, May the 11th. Ingrid Janssen will be the speaker on Peonies and Partners. If you'd like to tune in and be part of this Zoom event, just send a quick email off to info at... RiverdaleHorticultural.ca and ask for the Zoom link and you can tune in at 7 p.m. Wednesday, May the 11th with, like I say, that ever-busy Riverdale group. One other thing, I I love these kinds of events because you know what? You know the pandemic is over when this is happening. The Hidden Gardens and Private Spaces Tour in Cabbage Town will take place on Sunday, June the 5th. So that's pretty much in the future, but mark your calendars. It's an all-day event, Sunday, June 5th, 10 until 3 o'clock. It is an opportunity to get into the heritage conservation aspect of Cabbage Town. Uh, There will be obviously some pretty funky gardens, tiny, tiny ones, and much bigger. But you'll also be seeing some beautiful architecture and, you know, just getting peek. I love the peeks into people's backyards. You know, Mm -hmm. you see the front yards, but you don't always see the backs. Uh, So this will have, Tour has some master gardeners on site, to answer any questions. Um, also, Paul Zamet, who many of you will know, is an amazing garden speaker and really fun guy. He's going to be there uh, to give advice, say hello, and uh, all in all, I think it should be a pretty fun day for how to get your $20 ticket booklet. Uh, you can go to the up-to-date information website, www.cabbagetownpa.ca. So CabbagetownPA stands for Preservation Association.ca. Well, I don't know about you, but it sounds like a bit of a Charlie and Dean road trip. It's got it written <laughs> all over it. <laughs> it is a Sunday, though. I mean, uh, both of us, right. yeah, I know yes. I thought of that, both too. Both of us have busy Sundays. But, yeah. you know, I, don't know, I could maybe rejig the schedule. What the heck? <laughs> and, and you were talking about peonies earlier, and mm-hmm. I actually would be, I would be into that. I have some peonies on my property, and uh, they, they are very dear to me. And, oh, yeah. Uh, they live for so long, too. Oh, They're do, the yeah. best. Yeah. The, the the only thing that is, of course, you you when they come up and they have that beautiful showing, I always pray that it does not have a big Rain. rainfall. <laughs> then you wait all season and down they go. Well, okay, if you're a really keen gardener, you get an umbrella and you go and you stand over top of your peonies yes. while it's raining. Yeah. Now, what do you? What's your uh, what's your feeling on the collars that sometimes people use? I don't. Well, like. not really collar. It's a cage. It's, yeah. Or um, yeah, uh, peony cage. Yeah. Are they a good idea? Yeah, it helps. Yeah. It's particularly if it's a windy location like where I live. Right. Gotta have a cage. Gotcha. Okay, let's get to our first email. Sure. Uh, this is coming at us from Aldina in Cambridge, and this is regarding raspberries. I have a raspberry bush. I'll be finding uh, 
uh, in another home, <laughs> she says, uh, that I want to replace with a perennial flowering vine. Now, besides the clematis, what are some of your favorites that you recommend? I want something that is easy to maintain, not aggressive, and has long-lasting flowers. She admits that she might be asking a little bit too much. I know. <laughs> uh, it is in an area where it gets a lot of afternoon sun and a little morning sun. Yeah, so a hot, sunny location. And this is coming out of Cambridge. Well, you're asking, that's a big, that's a big ask, right? All those things. Easy maintenance, not aggressive, long-lasting flowers. Uh, quickly, when I was thinking about it, Akibia. Akebia is also known as chocolate vine, so A-K-E-B as in Bob, I-A. Uh, it's called chocolate vine because it gets these little flowers, little brown flowers that smell almost like vanilla, actually. Oh. So it's a nice smelling vine. It's not a long flowering vine, but it's a very easy vine, um, heart-shaped green leaves. It, it, it grows. Is, is it invasive? No, not really. But, you know, it's it's not like some plants. But certainly it would do a nice job. Honeysuckle is always a fave, particularly if you've got that nice hot afternoon sun. Lonicera, L-O-N-E, sorry, L-O-N-I-C-E-R-A is Lonicera. Honeysuckle, red, it comes with red flowers, white flowers, or pink flowers, or even yellow flowers. So you've got choices. Red flowers are very attractive to hummingbirds, so not a bad choice. Uh, no long flower, a few weeks, spring, late spring. Mm-hmm. Easy, not aggressive at all. And then another one which might be fun is um, passion flower or passiflora. Depending on what zone you're in, Aldina, if you it's warm enough where you are, you could potentially plant passiflora or passion flower. It's a zone six plant. That's a fun one. That's different and very interesting flowers. Yeah. What What would be your favorite out of all? I'm quite intrigued by that chocolate one. <laughs> I've never heard of that. No, it's, um, you know, it just comes down to what you're looking for. Think about chocolate vine. The leaves grow like shingles on a house. So that oh. it's it's actually quite ornamental depending on where it's growing. Like, you okay. know, how, if it can be allowed to grow, give that full green coverage. So really, you know, nice plant. Some plants to avoid, you know, we talk about aggressive, invasive. Do not plant bittersweet You'll unless you want to get out there with your chainsaw every two months. Uh, porcelain vine, also considered a, a now considered an invasive plant. Trumpet vine, you'll see, we'll get lots of questions yeah. in the future about trumpet vine out of control. Wouldn't recommend that one if you want not invasive. Or silver lace vine. I love silver lace vine, but again, for some people, it can be just a little too much. Yeah. I like the sound of um, it attracting hummingbirds. They are always so magical. And I, and I mean, of course, people put up the hummingbird feeders, mm-hmm. but it's so much sweeter, yeah. as it were, if <laughs> yeah. you can get them to come around just for natural flowers. And they don't call it honeysuckle for nothing. No. Right, because it does have a really sweet nectar. It's very attractive to insects as well as birds. Indeed. Okay, got to take another short break, but we will be right back with more email questions right here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And welcome back to The Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. I'm Dean Holland. Yeah, and, uh, here this with, is different. Yeah, it is, <laughs> but good different. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because I got to tell you, some weeks I, I come. I mean, every week I come prepared with all the emails. Yeah. Um, but some, but lately, of course, the phones just keep lighting up. I know. And you just don't always have time to get to the emails. But it's funny. This is your first season doing the garden show, and you started right in the dead of winter, in November. <laughs> yeah, back I early think. November. Yeah. yeah. So. 
you know, the calls were not as intense, and you get it right around Christmas, and there's not many at all. And you warned me. I did. <laughs> you said, oh, wait till spring. <laughs> and it has sprung. It can be a two-hour show easily. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, you feel bad sometimes having to just stop taking callers. But... Or cut people off. All right. Next yeah. one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. One question yes. per yeah. caller. The mantra, indeed. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we've got, um, I'm going to go to uh, mm-hmm. an email that we got from, um, let me see here. Oh, yeah. From Monica mm-hmm. in Newmarket. And this is kind of a two-parter. So, first of all, she says, uh, okay, now that the snow has finally melted, she, she, uh, emailed us early April, uh, we see that the uh, the bird seed husks are all over her lawn. They, her lawn. They've left them behind. I certainly want to rake them off the lawn, but what about those on the garden? Should I clean them up? Should I dig them into the soil or leave them as mulch? Great question. Yeah. Because they are really messy. Yeah. So what, here's one thing. If you can afford it, you can buy the no-mess bird seed so you don't end up with all the shells. Right. But, but again, I, I'm wondering the same thing. Is it beneficial? Absolutely. Those uh, sunflower husks, they're great. Oh, definitely. Now, rake off the lawn. Yes, absolutely correct, Monica. That those that heavy amount of material will suffocate the lawn. But no, I'd leave them on the garden. I'd loosen them up a bit. Uh, they will disappear quite quickly if your soil is healthy and alive. Uh, don't rake them off at all. I wouldn't do a lot of digging. I would do a little bit of loosening um, for sure. They'll be gone within six weeks, I bet. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, if I know my... My, especially my 19-year-old son, if I know him, he wouldn't be raking them off the lawn at all. You know what he would do? He would get the shop vac out, oh. <laughs> and he would just go out there and, yeah. That's yeah. an option. It's all about the That's power tools. That's a great option, He would actually. absolutely do that. <laughs> Send <laughs> them to Monica. <laughs> <laughs> or, of course, if you have the, uh, the neighbor that you're not fond of, just get the leaf blower out and blow them all next door. <laughs> We sometimes have those, yes. too, don't we? <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, so she yeah. has a two-parter question. Yes. They're kind of related here. Mm-hmm. Okay, this one says, This time, my question is about adding organic matter and top dressing, as you often mention, the importance of adding organic matter to our gardens. Okay? This has been my mantra for years as well. I rake all the leaves onto my gardens in the fall. Last spring, I top-dressed my gardens and lawn with worm castings, only to read later that I should have worked them into the soil of my garden. I did not do this as I thought that working the soil unsettles the biodiversity of the soil. This year, I did not, or this year, I want to use duck compost, which I have done in the past. Should I use, uh, should I use both and work the poo, work poo? Well, it's uh, worm poo. Oh, worm poo and duck poo. <laughs> I'm becoming confused poo, about what poo is show. best. Yeah, it's, like, it's a crappy email, really. Um, <laughs> what do I need, whether I dig it in, turn it, or, or just sprinkle it on top? Mm-hmm. Might you have some time to discuss this organic matter mm-hmm. on your show? Like, what is it, and how yeah. do we use it, and yeah, should we be digging it in? And this is a very, very good questions. I'm a really lazy gardener. I look for every opportunity to not have to do work. I let the animals do the work. And I learned this because I have ser- I had my last garden where I gardened for so long, 25 years, that um, serious clay, like serious clay. And I spent the first couple of years just working so hard, you know, adding peat moss, adding sand, adding gravel, mm-hmm. adding anything to break up that clay. And no matter what I added, it looked great until the first rain. And then what would happen, the first rain is all that stuff I'd added would sink down and all those light little clay particles would rise to the surface. Huh. The rain would end, the sun would come out, and I was back to a concrete garden. That's what it looked like. Right. So I stopped doing that. I just started collecting leaves, and I used my 
deciduous leaves in the fall. All my neighbors would bring me their leaves. My kids collected leaves, and we used a lot of leaves. And I never dug them in. I strictly chopped them up small with the lawnmower. So this is going to go, this is relevant, Monica, just so you know. Um, Whether it's chopped up leaves that you're putting on the surface of the soil, whether it's duck poo, worm poo, cow poo, sheep poo, anything that's got a high level of organic material in it, homemade compost, 100% organic. Mm -hmm. So anything that's high quantity of organic matter should not need to be dug in. You should be able to just spread it on the surface, fall or spring, Whatever works for your lifestyle. Some of us are too busy in the fall. We do it in the spring. We don't want to walk in the garden in the spring. We do it in the fall. The leaves, obviously, are a fall top dressing on the gardens, whereas all these duck poos and worm poos typically are spring. And I would just use my shovel, and I would just shovel it out, throw it out on the surface of the garden. The biodiversity in your soil, the life, the worms, the sow bugs, the beetles, there's all kinds of cool things that we can see, Mm -hmm. you know, big animals that will crunch this stuff up, whether it's duck poo or whatever. But there's lots of things we don't see. The microorganisms, they chew up organic matter as well. So for us, we don't have to do a lot of digging. Just get it out onto the surface. It will disappear. And it will often disappear right before your very eyes. You'll, mm-hmm. you'll, I used to watch the... I, well, first of all, at night, even in Richmond Hill, the suburbs, sun goes down, things get quiet, everybody goes to bed. About 10 o'clock, go outside, it's not windy. You hear this... This is in November, right? Yeah, yeah. What is it? It's the worms chewing the leaves. You God. can hear the leaves being... You can hear them. Yep. It sounds like mice, right? You go, whoa, there's a mouse. Oh, there's another mouse. Oh, my gosh. I'm surrounded by hundreds of mice. Yeah. I am surrounded by hundreds of worms. We don't think of worms as being something audible. I mean, they're so but quiet. They are. I know. People think I'm nuts when I tell that story, but it is true. If it's quiet enough, you can hear the worms chewing up your leaves in the fall. So now, of course, it's duck poo, worm poo, etc. Yeah. You're not going to hear that being chewed up, but it will disappear. And so that's what I would do. And it's a great idea. Top dressing our gardens. Assume a half an inch or a centimeter Per year, per garden. Okay. As an ongoing, never-ending schedule. Right. And we do that in the spring? Or fall. Or fall. Whichever okay. you want. And it is rather important to chop up those leaves, right? Because mm-hmm. as I understand it, if we don't, it's hard for the organisms to get in there and break it down. Well, they, they come compact together. They make a mat, particularly uh, maple leaves. Yeah. And so then you have what's called an anaerobic situation. You've got no air in there. Okay. Once you have no oxygen in amongst all that organic matter, you have a swamp or the smell of a swamp. So air is very important. So that's gotcha. why chopped up leaves are fluffy, duck poo, worm poo, all that stuff. Duck poo is from a, the duck farms. Okay. So the bedding that the ducks live in are wood shavings. So what they do is every now and then they clean out the barns and take all these saturated wood shavings mm-hmm. out And let them sit. And they sit out in the weather for at least a year. And so that helps with, you know, the high level of um, acid, really, like uric acid in the urine. So that lowers that acidity. Then they'll they'll chop them up or just the turning chops them up. When I used to get duck poo delivered, I'd get like the big one cubic yard bag delivered. It looked kind of like kitty litter. It was just little chunks of wood. And it went on really light, but it was brown. It's, you know, well saturated. And 
really, really good for for the diversity of the soil. And it was it's moist. No, not it's quite dry yeah. actually. Yeah, in the bag when they would send it, it would be quite dry. But of course, you put it out onto the garden, and then, then the rain falls, and it all the moisture sure. helps it uh, decompose. Yeah, and of course, they've just gone out there with a the shop vac, and they've just sucked it all up, and they've put it in the bags. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's pretty funny, but it really works. And does yeah. it smell bad? Like all this talk about poo, none of it smells bad if it's been properly composted, yeah. you know, out in the weather, weathered, it will have no audible smell to us. Now, of course, and if somebody picks up a handful and throws it at you, what do you do? You duck. Ah. Good point. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> now, I have a question. Yes. What about, okay, coffee grounds. Can I put too much coffee grounds? Yes. And the reason I ask is because certain certain coffee shops that yeah. I that yeah. I go to they leave the will grounds. leave the yeah. big, big, big bags at the front home. that you can just take them home. And I routinely... Do take them home, yeah. and I and I don't worry about. You get some of the paper filters in there, sure, and, doesn't uh, whatever. But I wonder sometimes do if you, you sprinkle it put, on the garden, or do you put it in the composter? We put it on the garden. Okay. Okay. And so my question is, can I put too much of that? Yes. Yes, you can. So never ever put too much of any one thing on your soil without messing up your soil. The advantage of putting coffee grounds into your composter is that they will be decomposed before they go out to the garden. When you put them straight on the garden, which is fine, I'm not saying don't do it, gotcha. just don't put two inches thick everywhere. Just no. make sure you're, you're pretending you're feeding the chickens or the ducks. Right? And it's that just, is more or less what we've done. Yeah, we just sort of sprinkle yeah. them on top. And that will never be too much as long as you're doing a scatter like that. But you need, if you really are interested, I don't know how deep mm-hmm. you want to go into this, mm-hmm. but those coffee grounds can't do any provide no benefit to the soil or to the garden until they have been broken down. There's uh, little tiny organisms that will break down the coffee grounds and release what's in the coffee grounds. Those little organisms are, you know, microscopic. We can't see them. But two things they need. They use nitrogen to do their activity. So they tie up nitrogen, which is one of our essential nutrients in the garden. So if we put a whole bunch of um, undecomposed material onto our gardens. It's organic, but it's not decomposed. We ultimately tie up the nitrogen until that organic matter has been chewed up or decomposed. That's why when we first put mulch out on the garden, the, the chips, the wood chips, we'll find that often our plants will stop growing suddenly because all the little microorganisms race off to the chips to start breaking them down. They're tying up the nitrogen so our plants can't get it. They're also providing heat. The activity of these little little guys is heat producing. So it's warm, you've got, again, decomposition happening. It's a process. We give it time. So it's one of those things that you might wait a couple of weeks before what you put on, whether it was coffee grounds or wood chips, the decomposition has happened enough, the little microorganisms die from lack of things to chew on, and all of a sudden all that nitrogen is now available to the plants. It's just, it's this, you speak chemistry, it was all about chemistry. Yeah. It is still about chemistry, but it's also a lot about biology in our soils. Main thing is, you want life, you want to see life, you want your soil to smell good, you want it to feel good, you want it to have a nice you know, sense of being a healthy soil, so a living healthy soil. Mm-hmm. And you don't want just sand or dust or what we would call an inert or dead soil because plants can't grow in that. Right. I, I have to say, I am completely guilty. Years ago, I used to have a, one of those cone composters. Oh, yeah. I w- yeah. was diligent about yeah. putting it on. Cut up everything really yeah. small. And by cutting it up small, I got great compost oh, every year. Yeah. But I have to tell you, 
now since they've come in with all of these green bins, I, I we throw everything in there, and mm-hmm. I now I haven't had a con, a con composter for years because it's so and, easy yeah. to throw. And now the green. I'm tempted to get back to it. Should and to say, you know what, all of the organics, the non-meat things, That's I'm going right. to separate them, That's right. and I'm going to use my green bin for one, yeah. and I'm going to save my own for the other. It's yeah. just you just end up with so many bins. The kitchen yeah. is just full of bins. Yes, and then indeed. you have a visitor come and wants to work help you in your kitchen. They go, where do sure. I put everything? But I miss having the benefit of that every year, yeah. that beautiful stuff to pull out that you know is going to do good for and the garden. You know, and if you have ever made compost, you know what it looks like and smells like yeah. and feels like. That's what you're aiming for. That's, yes. a, that's a healthy soil. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I've got another email here. And... I apologize. I've, I've lost. Maybe you have his the gentleman's name here. He was um, he was asking me, asking you, I should say, mm. what can I do now to prevent aphid infestation this summer? And he wants to know if there are plants that can attract beneficial insects mm. to naturally help control the aphids. It's a great question. And this is from James Clark. Okay, it is from James. Oh, he gotcha. doesn't say where he's writing from, but it's no. a really great general question. Okay. Aphids. First off, what's an aphid? An aphid is an insect that's mouth parts are like a straw. Okay. So they use their little straw-like mouth and they puncture the tissue of new growth, the nice tender new buds of any of our plants. This little straw goes into it and liquid enters the aphid's body. Okay. And the aphids blow up into like a little balloon. It's so funny to watch. It's, this is You want to get down into insect life. Yeah. Aphids are just little insects, but then you watch them when they're full of nectar. Their little legs are waving. They're round bodies and their little legs are waving up in the air and their little mouth is still attached. They're just having a good time. Like they're at the malt shop with their straws, eh? Totally. totally. They're like... And they're blown up like a cartoon character right with little legs waving in the air so how do we prevent those because those insects very traditionally will be found on the same plants every year in your garden in roughly june because june is when we get all the new growth and that's when the aphids appear in the new growth so what can you do well you can prevent aphids by avoiding or you know avoiding encouraging too much soft succulent new growth on your plants how do you do that well if you use organic matter and which is a form of slow release fertilizer slowly organic material breaks down slowly it feeds the plants you will have less less soft succulent growth if you use the blue stuff you mix it up and you're out there yep. spraying blue everywhere on the calendar every two weeks, you'll have lots and lots of growth, and it'll be very soft, very succulent, and very aphid-friendly. Gotcha. So one way is to avoid synthetic fertilizers, stick with the um, organics. Another way is, um, yeah, you can buy slow-release synthetic, or you can, like I said, use the organic slow-release. Encourage insects that eat aphids, ladybugs. Oh. Ladybugs love aphids. So you can encourage them. You can actually buy ladybug eggs and place them out in your garden. Really? Yeah, I'm praying mantid eggs through... Um, I should have written this down. Where where, where would you... I buy? <laughs> you used to be able to buy them at Canada Blooms when really? Canada Blooms existed. But no, hold on. Um, oh, now my brain's going to go on hold. I'll have to think about this for when we come back from the break. Yeah, okay. Out of St. Catharines, a natural insect... Control, N-I-C. That is fascinating. N-I-C in St. Catharines. Look them up on the web. Natural Insect Control. You can, they'll ship you. And, of course, you won't keep, once the ladybug eggs hatch, they won't stay unless there's something for them to eat. Right. Like, they're going to fly and go looking for food. But um, 
be aware that a baby ladybug doesn't look like the adult. It's not a little round okay. beetle with wings. A baby ladybug is actually a really ugly little creature. It's red <laughs> red and black. It's all gnarly. <laughs> yeah. Legs everywhere. But a baby ladybug eats 10 times more aphids than an adult because beetle. It's, because it's, it's like a teenager, right? Exactly. It's like, it's like my 19-year-old coming home, opens up the fridge and goes, you know, yeah, just wants to eat everything. There's nothing here. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. they're growing. They're bottomless, yeah. Right. They're, and yeah. so the, the mini... So the, no, the baby ones are growing, so they have to eat all that stuff. So if you're going to bring ladybugs onto your property or if you're cool on, on encouraging beneficial insects that will eat things like aphids, know what they look like in their different life stages. So a quick Google on what, you know, show me the life stages of a ladybug, you'll be shocked at what a baby looks like. And you'll say, oh my gosh, I would have killed that for sure. That's so ugly. But it, you don't want to kill them. You want to let them grow because they will eat lots of aphids. So that's another great way to avoid aphids is uh, encourage uh, beneficial insects. And the other is get outside, check your garden every single day, check the tips, particularly the new growth, because that's where the aphids are going to be found. And if you do find an aphid, pull at your hose, blow, uh, you can blow them off with a, with a hose, you know, water, just straight water. Or you can even mix up some soap and water to kill them if you need to. Don't kill the uh, ladybugs, though. And once something I tried this year is I've planted garlic all around my roses in an effort to see if that works. It's a, I've certainly read it many times. Garlic, onions will repel aphids. So plant those around your susceptible plants, and hopefully you'll have fewer aphids. Nice. And you won't have any vampires either. <laughs> okay. Uh, we have to take a short break, well, but we will be back with more email questions right here on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And hey, welcome back to the Garden Show on Zuma Radio. I'm Dean Holland here with Charlie Dobbin, answering is, a mess of I know, emails. It's just fun. It's different. We're we're holed up in a little studio it here. Is. After this is two weeks ago. <laughs> I feel a bit selfish about it because I'm able to ask questions that I have on my mind that I don't always get to ask. I'll send you a bill. So <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful. I can alleviate that. <laughs> I, I have a bit of a nostalgia question oh, here. Good. I mean, really, for me, because as you pointed out earlier, I started working with you in mm-hmm. November. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole different landscape, as it were, in sure. in the winter. People, the most of the questions are indoor, mm-hmm. if not almost all of them, you know. And we get a lot of questions about this particular plant, uh-huh. and it gets to the point where at first it was exciting, and then it was like, <laughs> oh my goodness, couldn't we be done with this? Yeah, I have another. I have an amaryllis question. Really? <laughs> Imagine. Okay, here we go. Uh, and this is from this is from uh, Eleanor, mm-hmm. Fred, and Eleanor. Hi, Charlie. I have three amaryllis that I got at Christmas, and they all bloomed, and they were different colors, red, pink, and white. The instructions on the box say that you can plant them in your garden after the frost is over. Can I plant them in a pot for now uh, as they have green leaves and are getting very tall, uh, and can I cut them down for now, or should I just stop watering? Thank you. Okay. So... She said, can I plant them in a pot now? They sh- I'm surprised they're not in a pot now. So, right, I'm yes. wondering where they are. Yeah, yeah, make sure they're in a pot. They should be in a pot. One-third of the bulb buried or two-thirds of the bulb buried, the other third sticking out of the top. Green leaves, encourage green leaves. You need those green leaves. Do not cut them off. Water as required, lots of sun. As soon as we're frost-free, take the pots outside, leave them in the pots, let them spend the summer outside, 
end of August inside, and we'll talk more about amaryllis at the end of the summer. But you want those amaryllis to bloom next year, you got to let the green leaves grow now. Okay, so my question is, I am, I've been paying attention enough. This is a little test here. I know that it's photosynthesis. That mm-hmm. is, that's what's putting the goodness all back into the bulb, right? The, the, those green leaves. Now, my question is that I think most of the containers, including mine, that I, I have that amaryllis the in the gravel. Mm-hmm. If I put it outside in that, it's going to fill up with water yeah, with the rain. That. So I don't want that. I want to make sure that the pot outside has good drainage. Right. So you're going to have to put it in a pot. Okay. With soil. With soil. You know, fresh, newly bagged, you know, out of a bag, soilless mix. Yeah. Yeah, none of this out-of-the-garden type soil. Gotcha. Yep. So okay. you're going to have to have a pot with drainage. And, and I think that these questions come in because, you know, we're just so darn impressed by the flower, right? I mean, <laughs> I the, the amaryllis has such an impressive and a glorious flower, especially at the time of year where we don't have a lot of them, that yeah. we, want to, we want to hold on yeah. to that. And the other thing is that we quite often get them from people who are special to us, and so we want to try mm. and hold on to that True. and have them again. Absolutely, and everybody feels like a horticulturalist when they're growing am- amaryllis. It's that easy. So, yeah. yeah, it's good. Gotcha. Okay, I have another indoor question email here. This is from uh, Jennifer, uh, and Jennifer writes, I think I have a ficus rubber plant that I have neglected over the years. I am now very interested in getting it to look like a traditional ficus rubber plant that can grow very large. Is there any hope for this? What can I do to get it much larger? Uh, there are many branches, as you can see, she has sent you yeah. a picture. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Right, so it's a bit hard. I don't know how old this rubber plant is. Rubber plants have been selected for better looking form over the years, and it could be that this is so old, it's just a scraggly looking plant. First of all, it looks like she's got rocks on the surface of the soil in the pot. Get the rocks out of there, not doing the plant any favors whatsoever. Repot that plant. It Put it in a clay pot, terracotta clay. Make sure it's got drainage holes. Make sure you've got fresh soil. You could even use a cactus-type soil because uh, it, this is a plant that it does not want to be kept soggy. It wants to be watered thoroughly when it needs water and then allowed to dry out, not completely like you would let a cactus, but you can let it dry down quite a lot before you water again. She might want to consider a brand new plant. If she really wants to grow a rubber plant is maybe buy a new one. You'd be looking for one of the newer varieties. They have bigger leaves and like I say, a better form. Yeah. It sounds otherwise, like she's looking for a challenge. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. get out your pruners. You're going to have to prune that plant. It's just a scraggly looking thing. Get out some stakes. You're going to want to stake it. You want to grow it into a, a nice looking. It could be Maybe you can stake it so you've got three stems and it's a bit of a shrubby looking plant. You'll do some tip cut pruning back and some forming that way. Or you might want to make it a single stem. But either way, it's right now just kind of hanging out of the side of the pot. It's not very pretty. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is this a, a time? Is this something that can go outside? Outside like this time of year? No, no. I, most people wouldn't put it outside. Okay. Uh, if, frost free, you could. Yeah. It's a bit of a it's tricky one. It's not going to benefit though from being outside. Not like the amaryllis. Oh no! And if you, any of your houseplants will benefit from being outside. It's so much better outside. They get rainwater, right. which is the best. They get the humidity of the beautiful summer. They love the heat. But we've got to be frost free, and it's just a bit of a tricky thing right. sometimes in and out. Do we have to worry about the risk of infestation? Of yeah. The plants, we do have to be mindful, and we can bring things inside if yes, we're not careful, right? right? So it's extra work that way. Okay, so because we, I know that we always put our our jade plant outside mm-hmm. yeah. every year. Yeah. We, we haven't seemed to have a problem, right. but, but uh, anyway. So now is the time to get them outside. Well, once we're frost free, frost free, okay. you, which is usually where you live. It's probably the middle of June, but where I am, it's probably the end of May. 
Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Careful. <laughs> uh, we're going to be right back. Got to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more on the Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips, and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is the Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. We are back here on the Garden Show on Zoomer Radio. Dean Holland with you and Charlie Dobbin. I know, doing a pre-recorded show, very unusual. Yeah, and we have been doing great getting through these emails I that uh, that do kind of pile up after That's a while. That's right. Don't have to carry them around so much anymore. But obviously, we'll be back next week for the. Well, I was going to say we'll be back. Yeah. next week. We should be running a regular show. Yes. with phone-ins. You'll be in Collingwood. Yes. And I'll be in Mexico. You'll be in Mexico, <laughs> and I'll continue to just <laughs> I'll continue to dislike you just a little bit, and um, you'll be all tanned. I'll be looking at you, going, "Wow, it's not. I'm not at a resort. I don't know how no. tanned I'm going to be." Fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But those healing gardens sound very exciting. Mm-hmm. I am already looking forward to seeing that documentary mm-hmm. series. Good. For sure. I've heard lots about it. Okay, let's go to an email that we've got here from Barb Mullen. Okay, and she writes, Hi, Charlie. We had our lawn in the backyard in the fall aerated, okay, fertilized, and grass seed sown. Wondering uh, wondering if we should aerate this spring as the lawn seemed to be more compacted than usual with the wet fall. A medium-sized machine was what they used. Uh, and then she follows up by saying, we listen to you on Saturday morning for the show, and she thanks you in advance yeah, for stuff. responding. Yeah. Okay, it's a great question. It's a good time for this question, too. Personally, I would never aerate twice in a row so close together, particularly if I have sown grass seed in between. Because the aeration, you understand what air, if a proper aerator is actually a core aerator. Okay. It's a machine, or, or it could even be something you wear in the bottom of your shoes, but faster, like medium size would be a big machine. It's on a drum. It's got protrusions. It's a core yeah, aerator. And they're hollow, right? That's right. And it runs over your lawn. And if your lawn is reasonably moist, it will pull cores out of your lawn. Into those hollow tubes. So it's not just poking holes in. It's taking sections out. Exactly. And that's the difference. See, poking holes contributes to compaction. Pulling cores out allows, uh, breaks up compaction. Yeah. And you want that. Because lawns get walked on, played on, snow sits on it. There's just people going up and down. So we do want to aerate our lawns. The more clayey your soil is, the more you need to aerate. The more playing and, and activity on your lawn the more often you aerate, but I'd never aerate more than once a year, spring or fall, doesn't matter. Absolutely, because after you do a core aeration job, it looks like small dogs have been partying on your lawn. Hmm, right. It looks like little dog poo it everywhere. Does, yeah, right? indeed. I've seen lawns that have done. Yeah. I did not grow up in a family that aerated lawns, mm-hmm. and but I've seen them in neighborhoods from time to time, mm-hmm. and some it's people excellent. who do them religiously every year will do them. Yeah. And so I've often been intrigued by it. It's worth it. You know, it's totally worth it if you have a truck or a trailer and you're able to go and rent one from Home Depot. Before you know it, all your neighbors will jump in and want to rent it, give you money. And so you end up keeping it for the day and it costs you nothing and mm-hmm. everybody else pays the rental. There's so many ways to get this done or hire, you know, the people that'll do it for you. They'll walk up and down the streets in a lot of the cities and suburbs, knocking on your door. Hi, I'll aerate for, you know, 50 bucks or 60 bucks. Do it. But once you've put down that nice fresh grass seed, which Barb said they did, yeah. 
you go in there with an aerator this spring, you're going to pull that all back up, all those little tiny baby grasses. So it's kind of undoing all the work that they did. So is it better to do it in the fall? Like would doesn't you, matter. Doesn't matter. Fall, well, that's time to put down seed is the fall. Right. So if you've aerated in the fall and you've put down your seed and your fertilizer, which is what they've done, you've done all the right things. Um, she is just a little bit concerned that she think that there was due to the wet fall, there was extensive compaction, but there shouldn't be. Like it, all that rain breaks up all those looks like little baby dog poo all over your lawn. It all disappears back into your lawn. But it's it's not something that you would do twice in a year. You just don't need to. You shouldn't need to. Mm-hmm. Top dressing, getting some fresh soil, getting even some of that duck poo we talked about earlier, getting anything out onto the lawn as part of the over uh, seeding. Excellent idea in the spring, even now, right? You could go out there and top dress and overseed areas that might need it, but I wouldn't rush in with an aerator yet. Gotcha. Wait okay. till next fall if you want to do it again. Gotcha. I have to say, I want to revisit something that we uh, that we chatted about a couple of weeks ago on the show that intrigued me. Speaking of machines that do wonderful things, you were saying that rototilling is not actually really... A good idea. Good idea, and that yeah. really surprised me. I, I didn't get to comment on the show then, but I, but I really, I remember seeing people with those, you know, the oh, rototillers yeah. going through there. A person who rototills and has done this that way for the last 50 years and learned it from their grandmother is not going to want to hear that they don't need to do that, but you don't need to do that. Rototilling does break up the soil, which is fine, but it's not always a good way that it breaks up. Soil has its natural form. You know, when you get right down to the the, the actual microscopic particles of, that make up soil, rototilling is not net benefiting the structure of the soil, usually. It also speeds up, as I mentioned, the decomposition mm-hmm, of the that's organic what surprised matter. Me. Because you, you're opening it up, you're you know changing the surface area, right? From going from a flat surface to a much more crumbly, open yeah. surface. More sun penetrates, more heat builds up, organic matter breaks down faster. So you have an initial good thing. That's why when farmers plow, plowing a field is a form of fertilizing. Yes. It's a form of releasing nutrient, but then it's gone. So that's the bad thing. You, you know, better, I think, to add supplement to your soil, whether it's your lawn or your garden or your, your field, supplement with uh, good quality amendments and let the animals chew it up for you. You don't need yeah. to dig it. You don't need to till it. Great. Okay. And speaking of, are, are grass cuttings a good thing to compost, generally speaking? For oh, on the garden? lawn. Leave them on the lawn. Leave them on the lawn. Yeah, if that's what can. I do. I, we typically just mulch them up and leave them on the lawn. Sure, with a mulching blade. We don't blade, beg them. Yeah. Of course. Well, yeah. And But if you don't have a mulching blade or your lawn gets out of control, we'll talk about that later when we get into the, the next, further into the season. But for now, I think uh, we might be done. Yeah, I think we are. we've basically come to the end of our episode, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you're probably you're. I'm sure you're down there having a great time, in, well, or, or just arriving. I yeah, guess, in Mexico. I, I think I'm I'm plane bound at this point, but uh, still, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I will be reporting back, reporting from Mexico uh, next show, and yeah. uh, hopefully, and we'll that, be taking calls that week. That we that's yes. the plan. So yes. thank you for this, Dean. This has been great. Thanks for all those emails that are now I don't have to carry around anymore. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> and uh, yeah, great help from everybody here. So. Wonderful. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.